I'm Mike Massey. I'm a musician. I perform epic acoustic classic rock, and you're listening to Talking Blues. So, Mike, I get the feeling you didn't start off thinking that you wanted to make music as your career. I know you went to school for music. Okay, so um, that's a that's an interesting way to frame that question, and that's why I'm, I might take issue with it a little bit. I think I just wasn't fortunate enough to make music a career by first go round. Basically, I just like I just didn't have an avenue to to pursue it. I, I studied music in college, undergrad. I was a music major, and I studied sound recording, and um, and I just couldn't find a paying gig out of school. I mean, I, I, I there was a couple of stu- studios because <laughs> the audio <laughs> the audio was dialed in. They yeah. they really do. But so, so yeah. when you said you wanted to go into music, I mean, were you, were you thinking as an yeah. artist or were you thinking more on the recording right, side? Because right. you went to school for recording. Yeah. I, wouldn't have, I would not have resisted a career as an artist, but I wasn't necessarily expecting one either. Um, I kind of thought I would just maybe kind of, you know, do some stuff along the way on the side, you know, maybe get opportunities to perform as a, as a recording engineer, you meet musicians and, you know, get connections that way. So I, I didn't really necessarily narrow myself to any one thing. I, I was in a couple of original bands um, that, you know, and so I, I had some experience with songwriting, but it wasn't necessarily like the thing that I, like I love to do, you know, but all along the way, you know, in college, I, um, I auditioned at my first restaurant and, you know, I had a little repertoire and, and I printed out a song list uh, that of, of songs I knew, and I passed them out to the tables, and people circled them and brought them up and with a tip, and that was kind of how it all started. And uh, and that kind of gave me the confidence to like, okay, people enjoy hearing my versions of these songs, you know. And you know, cover musicians are kind of a dime a dozen, so like hearing me talk about this to your audience with if they've never heard me, they're probably not necessarily in a hurt, huge hurry in a huge hurry to go go check me out because they're like, oh, it's just a cover musician, but like. I, it's weird to talk about myself in an objective way, but I think there is something that sets me apart. And I think it's just, um, it's part my arranging and it's part my performing. It's just a con- the combination of the two hits a sweet spot for a lot of people and they just really enjoy my performances. Sometimes, and you'll see, it's not uncommon to see comments on my YouTube channel where they say, I like it better than the original, which I find really ironic because I'm just trying to, in my mind, I'm just trying to recreate the original acoustically. I'm not really trying to change it dramatically. You know, my arrangements are pretty faithful. And uh, I kind of take pride in that because, like, I want people, like, if they like the original, I want them to like my version, too. You know, I want that audience, like, built in. You know, like, I don't want to turn anybody off that like the original. Like, oh, I don't like the way he did it, you know. And so I try to, you know, stay, be faithful to it. But also, I can't help bring a little bit of my own vibe, you know, my own juice to it, you know, just kind of my own filter. Well, I, I think when, when one has a voice like yours, I think that. I mean, I think you bring originality with your voice, and and I'm not trying to um, minimize your guitar playing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but yeah. but but your voice is, you know, like everybody else. I saw a video and thought, oh my god, this guy can sing, like it's immediate and and mm-hmm. and not simple songs. And we're talking some pretty <laughs> difficult songs, and and um, so yeah, yeah. You know, because you're coming to Toronto in September. Um, yeah, your your ad came on my Facebook feed, and, oh, nice. and I had never heard of you. And I said, "Who is oh, this great. guy?" And and then well, I looked at the video. Then I saw a few other videos, and it was just like, "Oh my God, this guy can really yeah. sing!" Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, tell me about how music came into your life, and and what you might have pursued back then when you might have dreamt about having a career in music <laughs> while you were growing up. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, we had a piano in the house and my sisters, I had three older sisters and a younger brother growing up in the East Coast of Florida um, and uh, a place called Satellite Beach. And we had a piano in the house and, and I would kind of tinker with it. I was younger than them, but I would start just kind of figuring stuff out by ear. And so my mom was like, well, he's, he's got something these other kids don't necessarily have. Like, I just had an ear for it. And the, and the kids just kind of took piano because my mom thought it'd be good if they did, but they did never, none of them stuck with it. Like there's not a piano player in my family um, besides me. <laughs> um, and, uh, and uh, so, yeah. And so I kind of, that was my first instrument and I would just, I'd pick out, you know, like journey songs or yes or sticks, you know, like a lot of the piano friendly music at the time and uh, just do what I could with it. And eventually um, 
you know, when I was in high school, I got my first synthesizer and I, I joined a band when I moved to, I was in Boulder, Colorado by that point. And um, yeah, and so I, I eventually uh, got an acoustic guitar, I got an ovation. <laughs> and, I'm, and, and that's kind of cool for me now because a lot of people, their first guitar was an ovation, especially if it was an acoustic, obviously. Um, that's kind of what they were known for. They were kind of the ones who kind of pioneered the acoustic electric guitar, and, you know, an, an acoustic guitar that had a pickup that still sounded like an acoustic guitar on stage, you know, and that was kind of their thing. You didn't have to mic it, you know. And so uh, I got one of those and, and loved it and, and used it to, to teach myself a bunch of Beatles songs. I had a couple of Beatles song books. And this is before YouTube, so I couldn't watch anybody play it. So, you know, I was at, at the mercy of like, well, I know where this note is, but like that's kind of tricky on a guitar because you can play the same note in a few different spots. So you could quickly, you know, like get in too deep, you know, like what is happening and then not realize, oh, they used a capo or something like that, you know, where if you were visually watching somebody play, you'd be like, oh, okay, they're using a capo. That's right. clearly how you play that song, you know, so like little things like that, you know, that people have no no appreciation for how much easier it is, you know, to learn a, like an instrument today, just because you have that free resource of just endless examples of people who have mastered it or, or teaching you or whatever, you know, anyway, so uh, I, I taught myself, you know, like yesterday and Blackbird and Rocky Raccoon, you know, like trying to, you know, learn how to finger pick and, and then uh, it just kind of grew from there. And then, I, you know, like, that's kind of how my repertoire started. And then, you know, by the time I got to college, I had a handful of songs where I was like, I have enough to kind of go out and do this. And uh, yeah, it was fun. I, I know you were in the choir, mm -hmm. but when did singing become a thing for you? Not until uh, high school, really. Um, I was not, I didn't sing at all. Like at home, I would just kind of sing around the house and had probably a decent sense of pitch, but no training. No, <laughs> I was not like a natural singer. Like you, like you people hear people that are just like, you know, yeah, he was great from early age. I was not. Okay. So maybe that gives some people hope <laughs> that you can, that you, maybe there's a singer inside you that just needs a little training. Um, because I, I just didn't have good technique. I didn't have the range. I, I, I kind of, you know, I, I knew what it was. I wanted it to sound like in my head, but I just didn't know how to do it. And then when I went to college, it just kind of, um, kind of unlocked some things for me. Like, I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, I figured out support and I figured out placement and vowel modulation and all the things that go into making the vocal sound, you know, just like I kind of got it dialed in with a little bit of training. It was, you know, I had a few different teachers and even in actually right out of college, um, I mean, right out of high school, I, that summer I took some voice lessons and stuff. So I was kind of I'm like, I think I could do this if I get a little help. But like, literally, like my first gig was uh, our ninth grade, like two of my dear friends, Scott Slusher and Ken Benson, who still play with me today, like they just went to London with me and New York. Um, but we were in a band in, in ninth grade. And our first gig ever was our ninth grade going away party. And we got the gig, but we got the gig and we didn't have a singer. I was the keyboard player. You know, we had a guitar player, a bass player, a drummer. We didn't have a singer. We, like, I guess we all need to just kind of take, you know, we just divvied them up, you know, like. And I got all the hard songs. I got like Tom Sawyer. <laughs> I got New Year's Day by U2. I'm just like, okay, let's discover our falsetto quickly. You know, and so that's, that's basically what happened. But, you know, and they're, they're singing stuff like Rock Around the Clock. I'm like, yeah, that's super hard. You know, anyway, I got all the hard stuff. You know? <laughs> so without, you know, that kind of threw me into the spotlight. You know, I'm like, I had to figure it out. <laughs> and when, when you did figure it out, I mean, did it, was there a point where it became very comfortable to you? Like, I don't know how you think of your singing voice. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's, it's, um, I mean, comfortable. That's kind of an interesting, interesting term because my immediate like analogy is like exercise because it's a physical exertion, right? I mean, there is some kind of like joy involved in the emotional expression of it that, that, that you can kind of also lean into and that takes your mind off of the fact that you're working physically, but it's just like, yeah, like if I did it all, if I did a gig that was all kind of comfortable songs to sing and like all within my you know wheelhouse and comfort zone i'd be like yeah I, i'd enjoy that like give me a give me an audience of two billion i don't care like let's let's go right <laughs> but then like you know and that's like that's like the equivalent of a, of a light jog right you know just kind of like, i could do this all day you know and then um but then you start throwing some harder songs on the set list and then and it becomes a little bit more dicey because i'm like all right i need to be having a good voice that day and you know i also need to feel like I can do this and I need to concentrate completely. And so that, yeah, then it becomes a little bit like more touch and go, but that's one of the things that, that I do that people, I don't know if it, if it's a great idea or not, but I always challenge myself. I've been doing live streams like a lot of other musicians have been doing. And I, I, I'm still constantly learning new songs all the time. And I was not doing that before the, you know, the streaming became a necessity. And, and I, my repertoire before was probably, I don't know, maybe 500 songs or something. Maybe I don't know. I, I don't. I wish I knew because I'm actually I can go back. But I have I have archives of my of my digital songbook. I can go and see how big it was. Like there is a way I can find out how many songs I used to know. But but now it's well over 800 that I performed on my live stream. 
uh, 800 different songs and it's still the list is still growing and so because of that I never really have time to like I don't ever dial anything in like perfectly it's like it's just kind of a process like the more times I perform and it just gets a little bit better every time as long as I keep it you know keep it in the repertoire so like going out and doing these shows on the road that I've had a chance to do like I'm coming to Toronto it's been nice because there's been some songs I've learned recently I'm like all right, I'm I'm putting some miles on this song. It's it's really becoming a thing, you know. Like I'm getting more comfortable with it, and so you know, that's kind of fun too. But like when I stream, like I I'm not streaming as often as I used to, so I can't like I don't play any any song often enough on the stream where it really just gets you know I have to like practice it off off the air because otherwise it's just not going to get there because I'm just not streaming enough. But yeah, I'm curious as to how you got to where you are because. Yeah. And I didn't mean to insult you by any ways by saying you didn't really pursue music the way... No, no. I, you know, I just... So, no, I mean, it was all luck at the time, and it's still luck today, you know? Yeah, so I'm, I'm not sure if it's luck, because at this <laughs> point, you know, you have a fan base. Yeah. But it's, yeah. Not, it's not the fan base built the old-fashioned way, which I, I find fascinating. Help. Yeah, I didn't get any help. Like, yeah. any any industry help at all like right like this was all homegrown like completely right and which is so cool that you can do that these days and that's the one of the beautiful things about the internet and also one of the beautiful things about computer processing power becoming cheap enough that you could literally you know you could record yourself and put it all out there and on a pretty decent you know pretty low budget to start with as long as you kind of know what you're doing or have somebody helping you that knows what they're doing like if you have a good engineer you know that can make, make things sound good even if you're not working with a lot. You can do a lot with software these days. But anyway, I'm 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 digressing. But yeah, but uh, it's it's all within people's grasp. And and it wasn't when I first got out of college. It just really wasn't. Not in the same way. So I kind of like needed needed all of this to kind of evolve to the point where I could take advantage of it. And and meanwhile, I was evolving because I was figuring out digital recording and and uh, I was building a I was building a repertoire and I was getting better and I was um you know building relationships with musicians that became my collaborators on my YouTube channel. And um, a lot of those people were people that I played with in college, which is great. But this wasn't like, I, I would presume you had goals of playing and playing locally and mm -hmm. playing in music and doing gigs on a regular basis. Right. But I don't know and if you had a goal of, right. I don't know if that was all that you were doing because that was your your goal. I mean, yeah, or yeah. you didn't have goals, right? Yeah. Um, and you were quite happy doing that. You, you were... Um, I was a public defender yeah. for 13 years. Right. Yeah, and uh, we haven't really we haven't really mentioned that part yet. But I was a I was a working attorney, like in Salt Lake right. City, for 13 years doing like criminal criminal defense for for people who couldn't afford an attorney. I was a court appointed. Uh, yeah, and that's and and these were like the 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 pizza place gigs that it's called the Pie Pizzeria in Salt Lake City. Those were just like a monthly standing gig that I had since college that I just held on to basically and maintained because mostly because I just I, I didn't want to lose it. You know, I'd learned a lot of music, I'd learned a lot of songs. I'm like. If I don't have a gig like once a month, I'm just going to forget all this stuff. And so I'm like, that was really the purpose of it. And then I just, you know, I'd record it when, I, and sometimes I'd have guests, you know, sit in with me and you know, yeah, just kind of grew out of that. And, um, and that's why it's got like such a low key vibe. Like when you watch those early uh, pizza place videos, like it wasn't even my day job. It was just like, I'm just doing this for fun. Like we're just here and right. we're, we're sharing this with the world because we think that's where the audience is because clearly it's not always in the room. <laughs> Some of those performances have like, like very to, you know, little to no audience response because there was little to no audience, you know, it's just, but, but was there it. even a goal to have a big audience? Like, was it just, you had a full-time job, you were, you were making money, you were raising your family and kids and, and you were happy doing that and you were happy making music, but it wasn't like, it, I, maybe I'm wrong, but it didn't seem like you had this bigger goal that one yeah. day I'm going to dominate the world. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't like I wasn't really doing the work to do that either. Right. I mean, I wasn't right. like I mean, just to be like just to be real about it. Like, I, you know, I had the dad bod and, you know, I just I didn't care. It's like I wasn't like I'm going to I'm going to look my best and, and I'm going to make my pitch and I'm going to go. I'm going to be a hit in Nashville or whatever. You know, it's like I wasn't like, yeah, you're right. It wasn't kind of like but in the back of my mind, it was like when I started putting stuff on YouTube, it led to opportunities that I would not have had otherwise. And I knew that I'm like, there's going to be people out there that are going to dig this. It doesn't mean it's going to like take over my world and become my focus, but it's like, I might get some gigs out of this because I, I had local gigs that would come from people seeing me, you know, like I would do weddings because people would stumble into the pizza place and go, this guy's really good. We should, he should play our wedding, you know, or whatever, you know, or friends that knew how good I was and that would hire me for their weddings or whatever. And so I'm like, I, I thought, you know, and I, and it did, it literally did. You know, I played in, um, before I was a professional musician, I played in I played in Germany, you know, for like some corporate thing randomly, and I played for 
you know, a billionaire who's a Hollywood producer, you know, just, just for my YouTube channel. And so like, I got these random opportunities. There's a, there's a lot of others that came from it. Like, like including performing with members of Boston, you know, like I got that gig out of it. And that was before I was a professional musician. So like basically everything that happened in Utah, it's like all that stuff happened just because of YouTube, which was awesome. And then like, I moved to Colorado and that was when I decided I'm like, I'm just going to do this full time. And it's been great, you know, and it's, it's been, it's been work. Yeah. Before we get there. So your sister yeah. says, you should put some stuff on YouTube. Yeah, Before yeah. this, you're playing in, in bars and you're actually recording some of your own stuff and mm-hmm. selling it in mm-hmm. bars or selling it, giving yeah. it to friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so your sister says, you should do some YouTube videos and you start doing that. Um, initially, what happens when you put, put out those videos? The first thing I filmed was, I did, I don't know, it was kind of random. But I did uh, I did Day in the Life by the Beatles. That's not random. That's just great. Um, but the other one that was kind of random was I did Warning Sign by Coldplay, which was that was kind of random. Um, and and then I did and then I did some live videos. My first batch of live videos, and um, and this was before my channel was even called. Now it's called MikeMassay.com, spelled out D O T C O M. It was just called. It was like something random. Like it was a uh, it was Xander Harris or something. Like it was it was Xander Harris is a it was my was my gaming name, and it's a reference to a a, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer character, like one of my favorite characters right. from Buffy. Anyway, so it was like this was on Xander Harris's channel at this point, and I post a few uh, like videos like from the pie, and the very first live one I posted was "Nothing Compares to You," uh, acoustic version of that, and it was me and my friend Scott Slusher. He was singing backing vocals, and and he was uh, playing drums, and I'm playing guitar, singing the lead. And, you know, we did the Sinead O'Connor rendition, uh, but it's written by Prince, right? Mm-hmm. And within a few days that video gets muted and i'm like oh man is this gonna happen every time <laughs> you know like like the first thing i post gets muted right. i'm like damn you know i'm like is this shoot you know i was like i was just really bummed about that i'm just like oh man and i was also worried i'm like well okay i'm like i'm gonna start over i don't want to like i don't want that on my track record of my channel i'm like i'm gonna start over i'm gonna do this right and i'm not gonna upload that song that's for sure i'm gonna stay away from that song do you know and why so it was muted because it was written by Prince and it was Prince's publisher's uh, request that, that any covers of, of Prince songs be muted on okay. YouTube. And it was not, it was not a widely, it wasn't a widespread issue. There's only a few artists uh, to this day who have those kinds of policies. Uh, the other one, the other big one is the Eagles and, and, and uh, Don Henley. You can't, I mean, at least in the United States, you can't, you can't post covers. I have a, po- I have a cover of a uh, boys of summer that I don't know if you can see it in Canada, but you can't see it in the United States, but you can see it in, I think the rest of the world. But um, anyway, so like that's an example. So yeah, I, I learned that the hard way. So anyway, so so I started my channel over and I reposted those live videos and I didn't post that print song. And then years later, it's kind of funny. I I I, I still had that video and I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna throw that video back up just to see what happens, see if it gets muted or whatever. Didn't get muted. And uh, and then like a few months later, Prince passes away, and I get I get a call or an email from uh, an ad agency in New York who's putting together uh, an ad for Google pixel the first one the phone that's going to air during um the grammys and and it's going to air right after they do a big tribute to prince and they want to know if i will sing nothing compares to you as as part of this commercial it's like a montage of a bunch of different people performing the song and so the first video that i ever put up gets blocked and then later because i put it back up i end up in a commercial it's the airs during the Grammys for Google Pixel, singing that same song. Wow! <laughs> just like, like that, like that just like, the circuit. Yeah, coming for a circ- full circle on that just cracked me up. I thought that was hilarious. okay. So, I'm like the irony of that. Also, having the <laughs> the legal background that you have, I know it's public mm-hmm. defense. It's different than than, yeah, yeah. than copyright laws, but yeah, but you know right, law yeah. to a certain degree. So, also when you start this and you get hit by this this block by Princess Publishing. I guess, did did you think, oh my God, can I actually do what I want to do because of this? Well, you know, and uh, there was another guy, um, a guy who's, um, I can't remember his real name. He's the nicest guy. Anyway, he was a guy that was doing what I was doing. He was just kind of doing it. He wasn't doing it like, um, he was just doing kind of like home video, like recording, playing guitar and singing, but he was really good. Um, His his channel was uh, Fargan Bastage, which was, a reference to Johnny Dangerously, which was a movie that had Michael Keaton in it. Yeah, yeah. And Joe Joe Piscopo would uh, famously like mispronounce swear words, and so that was what he took at <laughs> Bargain Bastage. Was anyway, 
but he was really good. And he did this lovely, like acoustic cover of crystal ball by sticks, played it with the 12 string finger picked it. And it was just like, Oh, so good. And, um, his channel got like taken down, like down the whole channel was just gone. I'm like, Oh crap. You know? And I'm like, and this is right about the time I started off. I'm just like, you know, I've kind of felt like I was like navigating a minefield. I'm just like any false step here. And I could, my channel could go at any time. But then eventually I kind of felt like my channel had enough, like, I don't know, you know, just attention and, and I don't know, views or whatever that I felt like, okay, I'm safe now, you know, like I'm just, I'm, I'm a YouTube property in a way, you know, like they, they're going to, they're going to have my back. They're not going to just do anything crazy and just take down my whole channel at this point. And I don't, I still don't have any copyright strikes. I've had videos get blocked. Um, and some of them, some of them have been heartbreaking because you don't know until it happens that it's going to happen. Like you upload it and then suddenly nobody gets to see it. I did a video, uh, a cover of if, if I needed someone, um, which is a Beatles song written by George Harrison. It's on Rubber Soul, and it's a great song. And I did a ver version of it with uh, the Mona Lisa twins, who are very talented uh, twin sisters that are based uh, in the Liverpool area. And we we recorded that song together remotely, and then I showed up and I played in a couple shows in the UK, and they joined me for the show in Liverpool. And we filmed a video around Liverpool, like doing a Beatles song cover with these girls around them. It was just so cool. It was magical. And then I upload it and it gets blocked. And I'm just like, you're kidding me. <laughs> that was just such a, I was so bummed about that. It's on my Facebook page, but like anyone ever watches those. But yeah, it's, um, but yeah, it's out there. You can still see it. But it was just like, I was, I was just like, that video was going to be so amazing and so fun for everyone. And it was going to get me a lot of new fans from their audience, a lot of them, a lot of new fans from my audience. And we still have a cover of Africa that's up on their channel that people like. And, uh, and sometimes I get fans from that, from their audience, but I don't have them on my channel, which is kind of a bummer for them. I think it's an interesting thing because everything to do with the music industry, like there are no rules, there are no set rules. Mm -hmm. So yeah. in, in the way yeah. that Prince's publishing company might say, take that down, you also have examples <laughs> of other musicians who've kind of embraced what you do and who, oh, exactly. who've promoted and who've yeah. also reached out to you and said, I like what you do. I yeah. love what you do, whatever. Like, it's, yeah. so you never yeah, know, exactly. right? At what, yeah. what point did you think um, when you started your YouTube channel, at what point did you think, hey, this, there is something here? You know, there, there's something for me to do here and, and I'm getting some traction. Yeah, you know, um, Africa was the first video that kind of went a little viral. And um, and that was the first one that be kind of, it became sort of the standout for people and kind of, and I it became sort of my calling card. And it kind of still is. It's the, well, it's the second most viewed video um, behind Leader of the Band, which has like maybe like 31 million or something like that views, 30 million. And Leader of the or and Africa has like 16 million. But the, the, all of the leader of the band's traffic is coming out of the Philippines. I, it's like I get over a million views a month on that video just from the Philippines. It's kind of weird, but that's the way it happens. And that's the power of the internet. And I've never been to the Philippines. I should probably go, but I haven't been. <laughs> so so this success um, with Africa. So does that change your life? Um, initially, not really, other than maybe it kind of, you know, led to a couple other opportunities and maybe a little bit more notoriety. But um it wasn't until there was like africa went kind of a little bit viral years later maybe it was 2013 i think and um and then after that happened um i i started getting a lot more attention it was just kind of like it just kind of took things to a new level and that was when i decided i'm like i think i can do this for a living i think i can sustain this and replace but i wasn't i wasn't you know i wasn't trying to be rich and famous i just wanted to replace my lawyer income and do this instead and that's basically what i did you know i'm just still kind of a middle class dude but i'm i get to be a musician <laughs> which is way more fun how difficult is that decision <laughs> to say okay i'm making x number of dollars right now being a public defender yeah. and based on what well, i can see i can match yeah. that or come close to it therefore i can yeah. concentrate on music how difficult of a decision was that well i i i, I miss the um I miss the 401k and I miss the health insurance, <laughs> but apart from that, it's, you know, it's, it's fun. It's just fun to be kind of like, uh, have my world be so, so centered around music so much of the time, you know, and, and with the world, you know, the way it's been and the way it seems to be heading, you know, it's nice to have that luxury. Um, that's, that's my privilege as a musician is to just, you know, to be able to, uh, spend so much mental energy on music instead of worrying about, you know, other people's crimes like I used to, or, you know, uh, or worse, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's great. It's, it's, it's been a blessing and, uh, and it's been, you know, it's been fun to, to be able to also 
to produce more because, you know, I just, I've just produced more as a full-time musician. And, uh, and so that gives people more ways to find me. So it's broadened my fan base and it's also given me more opportunities to perform and travel. And so that's also increased my fan base and it's allowed me to see the world in a way that I wouldn't have seen it as a, as a lawyer, you know, okay. just maybe tra- traveled after I retired or something. You know? So in the old school way, a band would, or a musician would go out there and tour, get in a van and tour all over the place and, and go to yeah. different places and play and hopefully build a fan base, go back every yeah. few months, every year and keep building what well, that would be the yeah. idea. Um, right. You're, I, I don't know if you did that as well, but your way was basically put stuff on YouTube and then people come and see it and they obviously like it. Um, and then you built a fan base, which is, I presume, pretty loyal when you're talking 16 million or, you know, 30 million views. And and I think yeah, there are other I, examples where things have happened to you that, that, that tell you that you have a very loyal fan base already. Yeah, I, I think I think I, there's definitely a core uh, loyal group, and and we got to kind of know each other, which was fun do, doing live streams, you know, because they're in the live chat, and even to the point where we do we did some private fan shows where you know just just the core group would attend, and and like a fan would sponsor it, like pay me a fee to just do a show that was just for the fans, and and we've done some Zoom calls uh, where I'm on with the fans, and they do Zoom calls without me. Um, like before the show, sometimes just as a group, right. they're just like, and they, I mean, they don't even like assume I'm going to show up. They'll, they'll just arrange a zoom call just to kind of chill before one of my live streams. So it's just kind of like, yeah, it's like the, it's like the pre-show party, you know? And it's, and so that's kind of awesome. And, and I think I have a lot of people that subscribe to me on YouTube that maybe haven't visited my channel in a while. Like, and they just kind of come back to me every once in a while. And they're like, Oh, let's see what Mike's doing. You know, or like, Oh, that's, he's the Africa guy, you know, or, or whatever, you know, like however they think of me. And so that's fine too, you know? And, and, and I just, I try to just get the word out about my shows the best way I can. I, my, my model is very different from what you described. I, first of all, I'm kind of like, either I'm always on tour or I'm never on tour, depending on how you want to think of it. Because it's like, I go out on weekends, like usually like at least a couple of weekends every month where I just go out, um, hit a, hit a city or two and then come back. And, uh, and then I'm home the rest of the time. And then I do some local gigs when I can, or, you know, and then I'll do, I'll do private shows when I get, you know, like I said, weddings, whether that be locally or you know, I've done, I did a wedding in, um, in, in Tuscany, you know, which was awesome. I did a wedding in Switzerland, which was awesome. I did a wedding in the countryside in the UK and in England, which was awesome. I did a fundraiser for a charity in Western Australia, which was awesome. You know, so it's like, yeah, the private stuff is sometimes the most crazy, you know, just like the most exotic and interesting. And this all started from YouTube. Like this is people seeing you on YouTube and saying, I want to get that guy at my party. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Are there other ways? Like, at what point did you decide I need an agent so I can now tour the southern states or go to Europe? How, how does that? Yeah, work? you know. So my well, I, I touched on the fact that my model is different. The other the other side of my model has been um, just literally like reaching out to venues that um, most of the time. I mean, there are a few traditional venues where I just do like a door deal. Like, you know, I just show up and we split the door. You know. Um, or a guarantee where they're like, this, if you want to come play for this much, we promise you, we'll pay you this much. If you get, if you sell enough tickets, we'll pay you even extra, you know, we'll split the extra. Um, but that, those are two traditional models. I'm doing something most of the time, which is far different from either of those. And I'm literally renting out venues by the hour and I'm selling tickets myself on Eventbrite and I'm doing all the promotion and I'm keeping all the proceeds. So it's like, I'm not, and I'm assuming all the risk, you know, the venue, they get paid whether or not anybody comes in the door, basically. So that's that's been my model, like, and that's been my bread and butter for the past several years. And I uh, usually, you know, and if if I if I do well enough, where I feel like okay, I, this is something I can build on, I'll I'll keep coming back. And it's always easier to come back to a venue than find a new one. <laughs> so I end up like you you get a bit of a rut in that way as, as well, though, because you're always coming back to the same places. So so what I did recently was um, I literally posted to my fan base on Facebook and I said, hey, if you um, if you are, you know, a booking agent or a musician in a in a certain region and you want to see me come to your town and you want to help me book those shows and help me, you know, then then let me know. And and then so I exchanged messages with several people on Facebook, a messenger, and and I now have a little kind of, you know, a little army of of people that are all kind of looking in their neck of the woods for gigs for me. So I'm hopefully gonna have some new places I can play. I really want to do that in Europe. Um, you know, I know that there's other cities where I could play and and um it's nice to have a guarantee where you can get one when they're when the when the venue's willing to promise you some money, but not everybody's willing to do that, especially if you're 
an unknown quantity. They've never heard of you and they haven't seen you on YouTube. And they're like, well, you've got a YouTube audience. How many of those people are around here? You know? And so there is a little bit of a risk, you know, that they have to take in that situation. And, and, uh, and that's the risk that I've taken, you know, in every, every venue that I've rented out, I've, I've just hope, you know, and I've started off, you know, in the bigger markets, just where there's more people and just like, cause I know I do have faithful fans and they will travel. And so as long as I, you know, if I get close to enough of them, I'll be able to fill the room, even if they're not like exactly local, local. You know? Does it surprise so. you? Because it's not your typical model. And and I can understand that somebody could put up something on YouTube or on Twitter or whatever, and it gets, yeah. it catches fire. But I think it's more likely that it catches fire for that mm-hmm. moment and everybody forgets you 15 minutes right. later. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you want to sustain yeah. it. And I don't yeah, know how, I mean, people dream about that. And I hear enough musicians yeah. talk about, well, we want to do something that's viral. But I don't know if that's, Yeah. I don't know if you can, one can plan that. And two, Yeah. Um, I don't know how easy it is to sustain that. But you obviously have. Yeah. At what point did you know that you could sustain it? Well, it was, you know, I had to take that first risk. Like um, when I got that, uh, I mentioned that I played that wedding in the countryside of, of the UK. When I got that gig, um, I, I just rented a venue in London and, and, uh, my bass player, Jeff Hall was coming to the gig, to the wedding gig. So the two of us were going to, and so, and I'm just like, the place held 500 people. Yeah. I'm a little over 500 and uh, like 550 or something. And, um, and we're like, let's just, let's just do this. You know, we'll do the, we'll do this, we'll do this show. And then the next day we'll do the wedding and then we'll go home, you know, whatever. And, uh, and so I, I took a chance. I just, I contacted a few different venues and I found one that was willing to, rent and rent it out to me on a whatever a friday night or whatever it was and um we put on tickets on sale and we sold it out and it was amazing and we had because it was the first time i'd ever played in europe of anywhere in europe we had people coming from austria i mean people just you know like they all converged on london just to come see us because that was the only their first and only chance they'd ever had and since then i've you know i've come back to the netherlands several times i did a little tour of germany and um those are mostly the the public places i played i've i've uh you know, got to expand, and I went to Liverpool, and I've, I've now I've played Dublin a couple times, which is awesome. But I want to, you know, I want to expand. I want to do Paris and and Belgium. And um, I'm not gonna lie, part of this is because I just want to see Europe <laughs> because I've never been to those places. But you know, it's 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 great if I can play someplace where I actually want to be. You know, like I want to visit. You know, and so I try to do that as much as I can too. But it's, I don't, you know, I, I can't do it and go lose money. It has to make sense. But you know, it's like it's that's that's the goal. What do, what do you think it is about what you do? that that gives you that loyal fan base that it's not just a flash in the pan little viral thing that lasted 15 minutes um you know i think i i well you know i I, obviously the music is is a big draw for people but i think also um i have a lot of fans who are who are fellow musicians and i think they think of me as a um (laughs) somebody actually somebody just commented uh yesterday on one of my uh ads for a gig and they said that um that I'm the alpha of like cover musicians or something like that, or an alpha of cover musicians. Like basically they see me as kind of like a patron, a patron saint of cover musicians where, and because I make accessible arrangements um, because I'm not, maybe not accessible vocally for everybody because I do have a pretty high voice and I do sing some songs that not everybody can cover. But in terms of guitar, I am, um, I am a competent rhythm guitar player um and and that's maybe selling myself a little bit short i'm i'm let's just say to the extent that you could be an expert rhythm guitar player i'm an expert rhythm guitar player but having said that that the rhythm is a qualifier and a limiter i'm I'm using that term specifically because i'm not a lead guitar player and if you're an excellent lead guitar player chances are you're also an excellent rhythm guitar player but it it doesn't work the other way around and so um i i leave the lead playing i leave the solos to the experts and but I can I can hold my own on a rhythm and I can I can convert uh, a song to a rhythm on guitar that makes sense that that maintains the feel and the groove and the vibe of the song, and um and and I think that people just I think they gravitate towards that as guitar players are like oh that's such a cool way to play that song, um or I'll arrange songs that were originally on piano and I'll put them on guitar and so they're like I feel like I'm unlocking the song when I do that I'm like hey look guitar players this song is yours too take it take it <laughs> run with it and uh and so like you know songs like come sail away that were on guitar i mean on piano like i, I played it on guitar and did like a finger picking arrangement or you know even in the early days i did songs like tainted love tainted love by you know the soft cell version of tainted love that was like all synth you know and i played it on acoustic guitar you know stuff like that so i think that's kind of fun for people um gives them new ideas to, to add to their own and and people tell me that all the time it's one of my favorite 
favorite comments I get from people is they'll walk up to me after one of my shows and be like, I, dude, I can't even tell you how many of your arrangements I've stolen. I'm just like, awesome. <laughs> Love it. Great. Glad to hear it. You know, it's just like, this is fine. Well, I mean, because it just it puts it out there, you know. It's and there's great. definitely talent in that. I was thinking about this today um, in preparation for an interview with you is that there are definitely some artists out there who really didn't write or weren't known for writing original material, but who covered mm-hmm. other people's material and made it their own. Um, oh, yeah. Like Joe Cocker or Jeff Healy, right? Yeah, Those yeah. people who've... Dude, if I could if I could have Michael Bolton's career, I'd take it in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, you know, I mean, like, yeah, like, be, or like Josh Groban or somebody like that. Yeah, people that are just great singers, but but don't they're not known for like their right. own catalog of music. You're, you're exactly right. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to be touring those venues yeah give me any day i'd take that any day so yeah are there original songs within you or and i don't know the details I'm... yeah I have, a, I have a handful <laughs> i've never been a prolific writer but i have a handful um and actually some of them are on youtube um i've done there's a couple of my i've even done on my live streams from from time to time there's only really a couple that, uh, ironically that lend themselves well to an acoustic arrangement <laughs> <laughs> i like and, it's, and i say that because like when you write a song you want people to hear like the whole like vision of it in your mind, you know, and you can always scale it down later. But like, if you're writing a song, if it starts scaled down, then just like, yeah, I'm like, and there was also going to be harmonies and string section or whatever, you know, like any ideas you had in your head, they're just all, they're all lost, you know? So I like to start on an original song. I like to start with a, you know, a big thing. And then like, if I can scale it down, great. But it's like, I don't, it's not a prerequisite for a song, you know, not all songs are scalable down to acoustic and, and so that i don't i don't try you know i, I know my limits <laughs> but i mean is that a goal of yours to say you know it would be nice if i start doing more live gigs to put in a few more of my originals or do you care <laughs> you know i i would feel like that would be an indulgence and uh and i just i don't necessarily i don't assume people are coming for that you know and that's one of the fun things about my concerts is you can walk into one of my concerts just say you know your best friend drags you like i want you to, i want you to come hear this guy and they they don't know what to expect and they could know every single song and they could sing along with every word and they can have an amazing time. And they'd be like, I didn't even know who you were two hours ago. And I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like I make them sit through an original and it's suddenly it's a different vibe and it becomes about me. I like my shows to be more like a celebration of classic rock than just like a, a celebration of me. You know, I, like, I try to just get lost behind the music, you know, it's just like, I don't know, that's just kind of the way I do it. Which is fine. Um, let me ask you this. Yeah, if yeah. you do a YouTube song, or you put your song on YouTube and it gets 30 million views or whatever do you get money for that or does that money go directly to the writer and <laughs> the original i mean the, the answer is it depends it depends on the publisher because some of them will shoot themselves in the foot and block it completely so nobody ever sees it and nobody gets a dime right. including them dumb don henley dumb <laughs> or um <laughs> or they'll um or they'll just say oh what a great cover they'll do what well they'll do what um Dan Fogelberg's uh, estate <laughs> did, or his publisher did. Um, they let it ride for a while where we were sharing the revenue. And I was like, this is awesome. And then one day they're like, actually, now I'm just, we're just taking all of it. I'm like, okay. Wow. Because I exist at their mercy. I exist at their mercy. They could say, and, oh, and, and, for, <laughs> and for further measure, we're, to, we're blocking your video. I mean, they could do that at any moment, literally, as the publisher. And so, like, yeah, so I am making Dan Fogelberg a lot of money from the Philippines these days. Not a lot, but like it was, it was a, that was, yeah, that was a bad day. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. When I lost the Dan Fogelberg, you know, revenue, I was like, oh. Does that mean it's retroactive as well? No, no, okay. no, 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 no. I don't have to pay anything back. I don't. No, it's just going forward. But it was just like I felt. Let's just say I felt that one. Like there, there's very few songs. Maybe Africa, I'd feel, but there's very few songs that I would feel individually if I lost them as a, you know, you know, as a revenue sharing situation, but that one was like, ouch. Um, but yeah, but like when I do a live stream, it's kind of funny because um, I'll get like, I'll either get like 25 emails or I'll get one. <laughs> and if I get 25 emails, it means like all the songs are sharing the revenue with me and each other. It's like, we're all just, it's a big happy family. That whole stream gets shared equally, whatever. Or, and then there's other songs, other streams. I'll do one song where like the publisher would be like, I'm taking everything from the stream i don't care how many songs you played and what else you played i'm taking it all and they do and they get to and i'm just like okay <laughs> so it's just like it's a little bit the wild west it's a little bit the wild west i mean it's just but, but is that the danger of being you and becoming larger and more popular that yeah. that you're not flying under the late radar anymore that people oh. are noticing you 
you know, I mean, I think it kind of cuts both ways because somebody like Rick Beato, he's a guy that has a channel that does a lot of commentary about music. He's yeah, a really yeah. talented musician himself, but like he runs into trouble where like, but, but because he has a big enough platform, he can make noise and like get it, get it fixed, you know? And so like, that was kind of like my dream was like when that, when that uh, Beatles video got blocked, I reached out, like I tweeted at the publisher and I was just hoping I'm like, I'm hoping that the fact that they see a little blue check mark by my name will like mean mean something. They'll be like, oh, we'll take this guy seriously. I was kind of hoping I had enough, you know, pull or clout to like actually get, you know, not have to worry about it as much. But that has not been the case yet. Maybe someday, maybe someday, like, like you know, like in 10 years, I could say, like, you know, hi, this is Mike Massey. Can I cover your song? And it'll like and they'll be like, oh, Mike Massey, by all means, <laughs> please do. You know, but like I'm not quite there yet, you know. <laughs> um we talked about relationship with your audience and, and you mentioned Netherlands and how you seem to have a, a pretty loyal following there. Tell me about that connection you have with, with the Netherlands. and Yeah. <clears throat> so you, uh, did you watch the short film about me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a short, a short film on me, my YouTube channel called going to take some time where I talk about what happened, but, um, that was made about five years ago. Um, basically I'm, I have a large, large following in the Netherlands as kind of an offshoot of the fact that when my youngest son was 11 months old, he was uh, diagnosed with a very um, rare and aggressive brain tumor and he wasn't supposed to make it. And uh, so I, uh, at the suggestion of my music distributor at the time, I uh, posted a video and it was a fundraiser. It was let it be by the Beatles. And, um, and my, um, my cover of Africa had just gone viral on a viral video website called Dumpert based in the Netherlands. And so I just, I already like had this big, like, you know, like a month, a month earlier had gotten all these new fans in the Netherlands, but then this happened like a month later and, and Dumpert took my let it be video and put it on Dumpert. And, um, and it was, a, it was a plea because uh, at the time, and you know, we, we, we were looking at a lot of financial challenges based on his diagnosis. And we didn't know a lot of uncertainty and, um, we didn't know what was going to get covered, what wasn't going to get covered. And so we were just basically saying, Hey, you know, if you can help, we'd appreciate it. My wife had to, you know, quit her job and everything. And so, um, so yeah, we just put it out as a plea and, and it got picked up and uh, the Netherlands responded in a huge way. They, uh, my cover of let it be went to number one in the Netherlands, which was amazing. And, um, and unexpected. Somebody told me about it. I didn't even know like, Hey, your song's number one. I'm like, what? <laughs> and uh, it was getting, it was getting played on the radio and such. And so, you know, so the first chance I got, um, after you know Noah had his cancer battle and, and he pulled through and he's you know he's doing really well he's 11 now it was literally like 10 years ago right now that that wow. was all happening yeah and um and his birthday was just last week and that was the 10 year anniversary of because I posted the let it be video on his first birthday so that was the 10 year anniversary of that happening um so but he's doing great and uh happy kid loves to sing he's got a great little voice he's taking piano lessons so he's you know I think he's always gonna have music in his life whether or not he does anything professionally I think he's gonna have fun with it and um yeah and he loves his big brother timmy who's 15 and timmy's my engineer on my on my live streams he's been a trooper he's been there for every single one except a couple times where he like went to a movie with friends or something but for the most part he's been there almost every time um and uh, like some of those premieres you know you, you can't dad it's like it's the new spider-man dad i have to go I'm like okay i understand okay. that's your bad planning yeah yeah <laughs> i know i know exactly 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 yeah so uh but yeah, he's since he was 13, he's been doing my live streams, you know, and uh, that's been fun for him to kind of, it's been a musical education for him to hear all those songs. And now he recognizes songs that he never knew before. And sometimes it's fun for him because there's so many songs that where he hasn't even heard the original version yet. He's only heard my version. And then he hears the original. He's like, he's like, you got that from that? Like, he's just like, what? He's like, <laughs> you know, it's always kind of impressed in a way. It's kind of fun. But that's amazing when you think about that kind of connection that you have with the people from Netherlands and, and you yeah. said you've played there. Yeah. I've gone as many times as I can. I've gone probably five or six times. And uh, wow. it's always, it's you know, they always ask, you know, how's Noah? And I'm like, he's doing great. And, and I did a thing where I showed a little, uh, one of the times I went back, I didn't perform let it be. Cause that's kind of hard for me to do like emotionally, you know, that's just kind of tough for me to get through. Um, and so instead I just played the recording of my version of let it be and, and, uh, and a slideshow on the screen on above the stage, um, just showing pictures of Noah that like him growing up since then, you know, and just, you know, kind of my way of saying thanks and giving them an update, you know. So, what an what amazing thing to yeah. go through. I mean, it must have been yeah. heart-wrenching and so difficult, but to see it turn out so well. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. curious as to whether or not Apple Music 
ask for any money. Like, um, so basically, sorry, I meant I meant like basically let it be the owners of that publishing. Yeah, yeah. We so when we any any sale, basically the first whatever ten or eleven cents would always go to the publisher, and and my my record company, my distributor. You, they usually take a cut of everything I sell and they didn't, they didn't take a cut of that song, but anything that was sold through like iTunes or whatever, Apple music. Um, yeah. It, it had the usual 30% going to Apple. Yeah. Just like everything else. Do you have goals? <laughs> yes. I want to do an orchestral show of all Radiohead music with me singing Radiohead songs. And I want to tour the world and play perform it with orchestras across the world and just bring the scores. That's what I want. That's, that's a goal of mine. And I want to do that in the next five or 10 years. I think that'll be amazing. All I need is the scores and I need, and to get them to generate the scores, I either need a financial investor who's willing to put up the money and then just be an investor in the whole project or an arranger who's willing to do it for free and then take a cut down the road. And so that's a goal of mine. And I've, I've, I've already reached out to, I've, I've, I've talked to one guy about it. Who's uh Nashville. I think he's, no, he's not Nashville. He's not Iowa, but anyway, he's, 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 he's mulling it over. He's an arranger who thinks he could pull it off. He's a Radiohead fan. So yeah. So that's something I want to do. Um, I want. I can, want I ask, to play. can I ask why yeah. Radiohead? Because because um because I would do a really good job with it. <laughs> good good reason. <laughs> no, it's just. I mean, that's 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 the 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 less objective way to voice it. But I think uh, let's just say that Radiohead um is definitely in my wheelhouse vocally, and it would just and it would uh, and also I think the fan base for Radiohead is of the age that they would really enjoy seeing an, an orchestra perform this music because Radiohead, if, to my knowledge, has never done that. You know, they've always toured as, you know, Radiohead. And so like to have a band playing the Radiohead songs with an orchestra and me singing it, me contributing the piano parts probably. And the, the Tom York played and also the acoustic guitar, guitar parts that he played, you know? So basically me playing Tom York with everyone else, just filling in everything. Else. It'd just be great. And also I, I have a Beatles band here locally in Denver called rubber souls. And we've done a show with an orchestra, uh, but it, it's the Denver pops orchestra, which is a, is a, like a volunteer orchestra. I, what my goal is I want to, I want to upgrade that next time to, uh, or sometime down the road to the Colorado symphony. And I want to do it with my Beatles band and I want to do it with the Colorado symphony and I want to do it at Red Rocks. I think that'd be awesome. Do a Beatles show with an orchestra at Red Rocks. Did you always dream big? Um, yeah. When I was a kid, I used to, you know, I'd play along to, and you know, wish that I was Dennis DeYoung, you know, play along to sticks and just kind of think that would be a cool job. So yeah, I never, I never thought that anyone would necessarily want to pay to see me sing or play, but I thought it would be a cool job to have for sure. Um, I love the story you, told on a podcast about meeting Dennis DeYoung. Can you share that? Because <laughs> I yeah. thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Um, so I, I met him on his birthday, which was kind of cool. Um, he was uh, playing in Boulder, and I live, you know, half hour or 45 minutes from there, in Denver area. And uh, so I got, I I've just got backstage because I, uh, we have a mutual friend, basically, because he's, he's from Chicago, and, and I and I had uh, done a, done some shows with a singer named Kevin Chalfont, who had done a journey like thing on a cruise that I was on with the guys from Boston. And uh, anyway, so Kevin, uh, he, I, I texted Kevin, I'm like, hey, any chance you can get me backstage for Dennis Young? And it was kind of like, like, I was like literally at the concert, you know, like asking this. He's like, hey, just talk to the sound guy. His name is blah, blah, blah. Just tell him you know me and I'll get you. He'll get you. He'll get you. He'll hook you up. I'm like, okay, cool. So I did that. All worked out perfectly. I get backstage and I'm just like meeting my hero, Dennis Young, because I told him this, and this is a true story. I told him when I was a kid, I used to wish that I would get some sort of fatal disease so I could make a wish, and my wish would be to meet you. <laughs> and there you were. Yeah. So, yeah, luckily none of that was required. I didn't have to get sick at all. Um, but, yeah, and so he, he didn't really have a response to that. He was like, okay, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> gotta go now <laughs> yeah it, it reminded me reminded me of the time where i'm posing uh, at, a, at a gig and i'm posing with terry bradshaw who was the quarterback of the pittsburgh steelers forever and i've got my arm wrapped around, wrapped around and i'm like hi i grew up rooting for the dallas cowboys <laughs> 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 and, and and he was just like he just didn't know what to say to that and i'm like he missed an opportunity to say that must have been hard for you <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would have said. But anyway, so yeah, so I, I said that I said that to Dennis Young, and then um, and I'm talking to him, and uh, I said, yeah, um, I actually did a cover of "Come Sail Away," and um, our mutual friend Kevin sent that to you, and I pulled it up on my phone, and I'm showing him the video on my phone 
of of me singing come sail away and then he starts singing along with my phone and he's holding my phone <laughs> and so i'm just like very surreal right he's like singing along with me oh i'm holding my phone and then he looks up to me and he says and he points at the phone he goes i used to sound like that <laughs> i'm like holy crap i'm like no man you i'm like you still sound great no no yeah, yeah i'll tell the other part yeah the other part so while this is happening his guitarist walks in and his guitarist was a guy named august zadra who had just killed it. He, he, he does the Tommy Shaw stuff. He's like a young blonde guy and great guitar player, great singer. And uh, he walks by while I'm talking to Dennis Young, kind of like while I'm trying to introduce myself and explain who, who I am. And, and uh, August walks by and his eyes get huge. And he points at me and he goes, you're Mike Massey. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, and he's like, he, he literally says, he's like, sorry to go all fanboy on you, but you're Mike Massey. Like, he's like, he, he couldn't believe that he, he was meeting me. And I was just like, and he had just, you know, killed it all night. It was like, it was such a surreal moment. And the, the fact that that happened right in front of Dennis DeYoung, I was just like, that was some, some cool, like, street cred there that I couldn't have earned other any other way. I'm just like, your guitar player is, like, fanboying over me. So it was pretty cool. Well, was, I, you know, great. one thing I do notice is how much musicians love YouTube and how they look at a lot of different performances. And it doesn't yeah, surprise yeah, yeah. me that, that you get the accolades that you have gotten from some <laughs> of the calm. You know, I mean, yeah, for yeah. me, watching Africa your performance of it, and if anybody hasn't seen it, they should. I mean, I can see why a Toto and David Page would say this is a great version. I mean, yeah, yeah. And I don't know, I can't imagine it getting any better than that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can, I mean, might as well tell that story too, real fast. But um, when I met David Page, he's the singer of Toto that wrote the, that wrote Africa, and mm -hmm. he sings the, he sings on the verses. And, and I went backstage as a guest of Steve Lukather because he'd heard my cover too and liked it. And, uh, and David Page, I didn't even know he knew who I was. He walked up and he shakes my hand. He's like, hi, Mike. So good to meet you. And he says, thank you for covering our song. And then he said, you sing it better than we do. And then he said, anytime I have anybody open to my house, I show them your cover. <laughs> and I was just like, I didn't even know who he, he knew I existed. You know, I'm just like, I was like trying to process all this. I'm like, holy crap. And then, yeah. And then he gave me a shout out on Facebook the next day. Like, Littleton, you were great. It was great meeting Mike Museos. That was awesome. Yeah. So like for someone to say thank you for covering their song, that had never happened. That was a first. I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, just like just that was just a thing. That was a thing that happened. It was so cool. And it's happened it's happened since then with other people, but that was the first. I was like, whoa, that's just so cool. Well, I think that speaks to your credibility and what a good job you do with other people's music. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Good for doing that and, and um, keep doing what you're doing because it's, yeah, it's yeah. amazing to me and it's it's fascinating to me because I just think you you took a different path to where you are and it sounds like you're the type of person who will achieve this orchestral radio <laughs> concert one day I really so, hope so when that I really hope when so. that happens I want to talk to you again yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. thank you so much for doing this yeah yeah thanks for having the interest and thanks for uh, for reaching out I appreciate it.